Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about now. She's taking care of her voice so you know that she's not going to shout now. No fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast episode 369, the first episode of 2021. Wow, so exciting. Thanks for being here. I am Jen Kirkman. I am your host. I am a stand-up comedian and author and TV writer. And oh my God, I am so many things. But what is this podcast? Well, this is where I go to talk. Yes, it is a solo podcast. No, I do not want guests. I have had guests on it before. Um, but those were my least downloaded episodes. So there you go. This is, is what it is. It's a solo podcast. Um, this is where I come to talk about what's going on in my life and in my head and sometimes in the world, if it all seems to make sense to talk about together. You may know me from my Netflix specials, I'm Going to Die Alone and I Feel Fine and Just Keep Living. And those are carefully constructed stand-up sets, practiced over years and years, made to look off the top of my head. But this really is me talking off the top of my head. It is unrehearsed. This is where you will get the real me. So if you want to sit back and listen to a friend talk to you, this is the podcast for you. It's not always funny. It's sometimes serious, but it's always honest and sincere. I am part of the Misfit Toys podcast collective started by Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap of Never Not Funny. So obviously they are the flagship podcast of the network, uh, other podcasts in the network, and you can find the link in the show notes, are Doug Loves Movies, Never Not Funny, Mike Schmidt's The 40-Year-Old Boy, The Todd Glass Show, and Jonah Ray's Let Me Watch Your Movie With You. There's also a Patreon version of this podcast. That's where you can see me in my home, the video version. Every episode has a video version, every weekly episode. So the video version also has some extra chatting. Like as I'm sitting here now, you think, well, this is the beginning of the episode. Uh-uh. I already chatted to the video people. They have an extra 20 minutes. And I was dishing the dirt on a recent celebrity doctor who's got COVID. So if you want to see that, every video episode is just five bucks a month. Just five bucks a month to get four video episodes per month, plus one 20-minute bonus about something in pop culture, plus bonus material on the video, as I already said, and unreleased stand-up sets. It's really quite a deal for $5 a month. And there are other price ranges that go up and above there. And again, I am not touring in 2021, no matter if there's a vaccine or anything, it is just not what I feel like doing. So as I sort of readjust my career, this is the way to support me in terms of as a touring comedian. I will probably, when it is safe at some point, 2022, tour with the No Fun podcast and do some live appearances. And that is always a pleasure for me. Um, in some of the major cities where I have the biggest fan base. Can't go everywhere, but, you know, maybe four or five cities a year. But until then, the best way to support me 
is to join my Patreon, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Some people say, what if I watch your special over and over? Oh, I don't get residuals for that. You get paid once, you don't get paid Chappelle money, and then six years go by and you paid your bills for a few years with that money. So there you go. You got to keep up. You got to keep earning money. Anyway, this week, this week's podcast episode, I think is going to be about friendship. I'm going to talk about how friendships... What if they were the number one thing in our life over relationships? I'm going to talk about Kamala Harris tweeting late at night on Christmas. Oops, check in on your single friends. And I'm going to talk about the notion of what has been going on in the pandemic between single friends and married friends. I'm going to tell you how my Christmas and New Year's was. I may talk a little bit about the Saturn conjunction. And um, of course, we certainly have the listener emails, a few of them left over, where people were telling me what they wish they'd done in 2020, but they didn't. And if you join the Patreon, the 20-minute bonus episode about something in pop culture this week, that's just audio only, that is going to be about Ilaria Baldwin, who is a girl from Boston, just like me, pretending she's from Spain. So if you join the Patreon, that will be your bonus this week, this first week of January, and it will release the same day that you're hearing this. So if you're hearing this, it's already up there. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Is that enough intro? I think so. So let's just recap. Let's just roll into this. So this is being recorded on Sunday January 3rd, the day before my least favorite day of the year. My least favorite day of the year isn't always January 4th per se, but it is always the Monday or the first business day that we get back to business after the Christmas holidays and the New Year's. I don't want your goals Hashtag, hashtag goals energy. Don't come at me with that vision board gaze. Don't you dare come at me with your dreams and schemes. I am still recovering from a season where I did nothing but eat and watch movies for two weeks. And I am in emotional withdrawal from how fun that was. And I want to keep living that way as much as possible. Now, I have a little bit of a writing job where I'm writing some, I'm, I'm offering some writing help for a TV show that is in production. And so I do some notes here and there with them. Nothing, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy for the schedule. And I do this podcast and I am prepping soon, prepping soon. I will be prepping a new podcast coming out in 2021 on a podcast network uh, different than the one I'm on called Anxiety Bites. And it's going to be like the serious podcast where I am actually helping people with anxiety, not totally by myself. I'll be interviewing different experts every week. So I've got shit to do, but I don't want any extra shit to do. I don't want to, I don't even know. I just don't anyone, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to dream of, write a show, come up with this. Let's try to sell, sell, sell. I just, I like my little jobs. 
I don't want to take my decorations down. They're still up. I'm taking them down at the end of January because people, I am in Los Angeles. I am in the epicenter of COVID. It is dire and depressing here, even though you wouldn't know it from looking outside, uh, even though it is very chilly here in the 30s at night. We have beautiful skies, palm trees. People are dying. One person every 10 minutes. This is a fun podcast. Honey, did you hear what she said? One person dies every 10 minutes. Why the fuck would you listen to that? What? I don't know. I just turned it on. I don't know how to turn it off. Uh, our hospitals are overrun. Healthcare workers are, are quitting. Some of them can't take it anymore. Some of them have COVID themselves. They can't go to work. We don't have enough workers to help. They are putting people in the gift shop. Patients in the gift shop. There are bodies in trucks outside. Some bodies, they're like, just stay home and die. If you cut your finger, if you have an aneurysm, if you have a heart attack, if you fall and hit your head in the tub, you might be fucked if you live in Los Angeles because there's no room in the hospital for anybody. Nobody. It is a shit show. We have over 15,000 new positive cases a day, and this has been going on for a month. Now, is it because we've got that more contagious strain? I'm sure we do, but people are being, now, of course, it is people who are being forced to work because things have to be open because there's no government funding to pay us to stay home. So this disproportionately affects poor people. And the rich people are doing nothing about it. The rich people are going out and doing whatever. Now, even though they may not be getting and spreading COVID, maybe there's some rich people that are, you know, doing their podcasts from their mansion and claiming that they do rapid testing for every guest that comes and then take selfies of it and post it on their Instagram. Or, you know, they may go get beauty treatments and that cost $10,000 and post that on their Instagram during a pandemic when people are dying, even though, you know, people are doing that. Uh, are they are they giving and getting the disease? No, but they're certainly not setting a good example. They're certainly not saying, hey, let's all come together. Something my friend Lori Kilmartin did, which I love on Twitter, she is retweeting people who cannot afford food, who are impacted by COVID and asking her followers, hey, if everyone gave five bucks to this one person. So I've been doing that today. That's been a lot of fun. I mean, unfortunately, a necessary thing, but it ended up it feels really good to do. So I am, uh, now that this, how does this have to do with Christmas decorations? I'll tell you, I need a little joy in my life because I am angry. I am angry in a way that I, I have the tools, people. I am the person that you come to for anxiety help. I've sent out 5,000 uh, PDF files, this like practically book I wrote on how to soothe your anxiety. I made videos, anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com. Send me an email that sends anxiety help. I'll send you some. But every once in a while, all I can do is use my tools so that I don't feel worse than I do. Today, I am angry. I am angry at all of the people who just can't stay home and feel like they have to go socialize in each other's houses and post about it on the internet. And what makes me even more angry is that none of their fans say anything. They're like, oh my God, that looks so fun. Keep hanging out, guys. And I'm like, what is happening? People are dying that don't need to. 
Oh, the whole thing. Anyway, so my point is I'm so disappointed in everybody that it makes me happy to be in my Christmassy decorated home. There has been no sense of time this entire year. It's been bizarre. I've been, I've been truly mostly locked down since March 10th. Holy shit, it's almost been a year. And if I want to keep up my sparkling lights and my gold sequin blanket out on the couch, I fucking will until the end of the month. And also, I think I'm going to finally this year, instead of jamming everything to a closet that I really want to use for something else, I'm going to get a storage space for my Christmas decorations. I found a small one. It's like the size of a walk-in closet. It's not too expensive. But they say they don't have any room until end of January. So that's also why it's staying up. But the point is, I need something to soothe myself. I'm not ready for this season to be done. I actually had a great holiday season. I enjoy getting up in the morning and lighting my Yankee candles that smell like Christmas cookies and pine trees and apples. And I enjoy making my coffee. Couple mornings, I threw some Baileys in my coffee and eggnog. I enjoy making a lot of food and eating it. I enjoyed watching movies, binge watching TV shows. I watched The Flight Attendant. I watched A Teacher. I watched that great Meryl Streep movie, Let Them All Talk. I was just enjoying my life, reading books. Ah. And now you people in this world, not you listening, are going to come at me with your Monday morning energy. Stop that. By the time you hear this, this releases on Wednesdays. Hey, maybe everyone's feeling the same way and no one's going to come at me with their let's make plans for the year. Um, so anyway, I'm just in a cranky mood today because you know when you do, you, and we shouldn't do this to ourselves, we hope something doesn't happen, but we assume it kind of will and then we dread it and we ruin the moments. Like I actually have this free time to myself right now except for doing the job of podcasting and I'm ruining it by being like, I don't got to be like that. I'm trying to watch The Crown. Everyone says watch The Crown. Listen, I like The the Crown is fine. I don't have an obsession with the royal family. I don't like, you know, when rich people's houses actually look tacky, we're like, so I see a lot of clashing patterns and gold and ancient rugs and stone things and statues. Are you rich or you still like terrible taste? Like I can't tell what's nice and what's not. Like whenever I look at royal things, that's what everything looks like to me. But I'm interested in the historical story of it. Uh, I'm I'm excited to get to season four with Charles and Diana. You know, growing up in my house, my mother, my mother would tell me about four things growing up. Uh, Marilyn knew too much. She was having an affair with Bobby Kennedy and JFK, and they were tight with the mob. And she knew all their mob secrets. And she said to Bobby... I'm going to reveal the secrets. And Bobby said, don't. And then um, I think, well, I don't think the Kennedys had her killed, but I think their conversations are being tapped. And I think she was murdered. Now, if you guys don't know, Marilyn Monroe OD'd on drugs. She had a desperate pill addiction. And towards the end of her life, she was messing up all over the place. A really wonderful movie she was in called The Misfits was the last movie she made. And she was... A lot of trouble on set late, you know, the usual when someone has a drug problem. So, I mean, most likely she accidentally overdosed. A lot of people thought it was suicide. 
And they like to put that on her. Oh, the tragedy. of the. But um, my opinion, accidental OD. My mom, the Kennedys and the mob were involved. So that's something that I would, that was like a bedtime story growing up. And then as I got a little older, once Prince Charles started having an affair with Camilla, which I guess since we found out they've, they always loved each other, but he was forced to marry Diana. So uh, once that affair happened, my mother's stories were, you know, Diana loved him and he never loved her. Isn't that sad? And she's a wonderful person. And he is, he is a real asshole. I mean, who could love him anyway? He is so goofy looking and he's got these two women after him. I mean, are you kidding me? But he never loved Diana and she loved him so much. And she was lonely, Jennifer. She was a lonely princess in the castle and she had an eating disorder and she didn't believe she was beautiful, Jennifer. And she never thought she'd be loved. And then she met Dodi Fayed. And I think he really did love her. I don't know. I don't know if he was using her. But just when she was starting to finally feel some love, she was killed, Jennifer, by the paparazzi chasing the car. Now, I think the royal family didn't like her running around with men and having a good time. I think they told those paparazzi to get her. So I don't know. I don't really like the queen or Charles. I love Diana. She was wonderful. So these are the stories I knew. And I feel like my mom telling me that story is better than one of the episodes of The Crown that I watched. Now, I'm going to keep watching it. I don't want any emails. Hey, baby, baby. Uh, I thought that was fascinating scene where King Philip is getting operated on in the castle and they do this kind of makeshift hospital room that does not look sanitary at all. But um, I always think I would love to live in a castle and have everyone wait on me hand and foot and not have to make decisions and kind of live in a fantasy world. Now, that's what I think as a very exhausted touring comedian who's sort of like, gee, I don't know how I'm going to make money year to year. It would, you know, the grass is always greener. And then you see someone like Meghan Markle and you realize, well, you know, it was probably completely oppressive for someone of my generation to jump into this kind of thing. But then I'm like, no, no, she's not as old as me. I could handle it. Also with her, it was racism. But, you know, you have these fantasies where it's like, I just, like, tell me what to wear. Put the pantyhose out on the bed the night before, the shoes, the dress. Yep, I'll wear it. I'll wear it. As long as I don't have to keep asking people to sign up for my Patreon, what do you want me to do, royal family? I'll do it. You know, I'm not one of these people who hates the royal family because the, they just took all their money and gave it to the poor. I mean, of course I think that, but I just, I have so much to be outraged about. I don't have any energy to actively feel the outrage for the concept of royalty. So I'm just like, oh, interesting. I'll watch this. Does that make sense? Of course it does. So I kept falling asleep watching it the other night, though, and I kept getting confused who all these white people are. I'm like, what's a duke? How's that different than a prince? Could somebody help me? So I texted a friend and said, I am giving you permission to mansplain me. Why is the queen taking over when her mother is the queen? And I guess because you don't give the crown, the throne to your wife, you give it to your daughter and he didn't want to give it to her daughter's husband. Blah, blah, blah. I get it. But I was just like, I don't know who all these people are. They all look the same. 
I am fascinated by Queen Elizabeth. I think she's a badass bitch. I am fascinated. I am a little bit fascinated with her. More her now uh, than then. So anyway, I didn't even mean to go on and on about that. But I'm just saying I'm enjoying myself. I never used to sit around watching TV. And uh, I just want a little more, a little more vacation. Just a little more. And I'm going to get it because there's a raging pandemic and my entire industry is shut down. And I still can't tour and I still can't do anything. Uh, except what I'm doing, which is podcasting. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Subscribe everywhere you get podcasts. If you want to go through back episodes and listen all the way back to 2013, you can find this podcast on SoundCloud. What you would do is you'd go into your Google and you type SoundCloud, I Seem Fun, because the podcast used to be called I Seem Fun, and you will get every every old episode. So here's how my Christmas went. This is what I did. So I was home alone, which honestly was not sad at all. I have the greatest friends in the world. I have made closer friends with certain friends of mine during the pandemic. Other friends of mine who uh, don't really want to hang out with me because I think I think they think I'm judging them, or maybe they feel guilty not including me, or maybe it's because I'm a single and they're all couples. But I have a bunch of friends who've been hanging out the whole time indoors without masks, vacationing together. And I was asked to be part of their groups at the way beginning, March, April. And I was like, guys, there's a pandemic. And they were like, okay, I think we're going to stop asking Jen. So I have a feeling I'm on the outs. I think they all love me. I was reading an article that uh, friendships might pause for a while and then come back next year once everything is back to normal. Um I don't know. But anyway, I I got uh, my friend Michael. You guys have heard him on this podcast before. Your Patreon subscribers have. He told his story of try- the Nexium cult tried to abduct him years ago. So that's on my Patreon. Uh, but uh, he called me, was like, I'm outside and brought me this like beautiful bottle of wine. And so we had a wine hang on Christmas night, like over FaceTime and just chit-chatted, 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 chit-chatted. My friend Justin, he remembered that I liked flowers. Um, he knows I like white flowers and he was home with his boyfriend, but he was running an errand. And so he texted me and said, look outside your apartment door. And he'd already run away. And he had left me a big bouquet of white flowers, which was amazing because I had wanted to buy some, but I didn't want to go in a grocery store. And I just felt so seen and loved by friends. And then my two girlfriends from childhood, Terry and Shauna, who I am still very close with. And I just think they're such amazing women. I'm just so proud of who they ended up being. Um, Not that I was worried they were going to go some other way, but they're great moms. They have cool jobs and lives and interests. And we all did a uh, Zoom drinks hang a couple of days before Christmas. And that's because they're in Massachusetts, but they're very COVID safe as well. And, you know, we normally have dinner a couple of nights before Christmas when I go visit. And they were like, why are we doing this once a year? Like, why don't we make this a thing? like every other week or so. So we've already done another one since then. And like, these are my girlfriends. I used to sit on the phone with for two hours when I was, you know, a night when I was in high school. And there's something really beautiful about it that, I mean, there is no silver lining in a way to the pandemic, but but if I can tell some good things that have come of it, it's something like that, where reconnecting with people seems like, why can't we add this back into our life, you know? And so I just... I'm so heartened by, um, and, and a couple other friends of mine, my friend Morgan, my friend Todd, you know, they've been calling me and FaceTiming and we're texting and joking around. And, you know, I feel cared for and loved. 
And that's really cool. So I, Christmas Eve, my mom loves, she loves a Pinot Grigio. And so I, I sent her a bottle um, with some new wine glasses. And I said, open that up on Christmas Eve. So she did. And I bought myself the same bottle, even though I'm not a white wine fan, but I do like, I like a Santa Margarita Pinot Grigio. And we had a glass over the phone and just talked some shit. I don't even know what we were talking about. I really actually don't remember. Not from drinking, just because I don't remember. But earlier in that day, she had gone to my sister's or sheltering in place together at my sister's house. My mom went to visit them and my, my mom and dad. And my sisters had made an outdoor fire pit in the driveway. It was like a huge snowstorm in Massachusetts. They sat more than 10 feet apart. Everyone had masks on. No one in my family has COVID probably, but they don't have access to testing and they wanted to be safe. And they exchanged gifts and nobody went inside, not even to pee. And I was so proud of them, you know, because they are everyone in my immediate family. Like I've said this before, they take it seriously. They don't want me to come home. They believe in the science. It was great. And it was cute and super fun. And I FaceTimed with everybody. And, you know, I basically, I was cooking myself my Christmas Eve dinner. So I just propped up the phone and I watched them open their gifts while I was cooking. And they're like, can you see us, Jen? And I was like, I see you guys. And it was cute, cute, cute. They just wanted me to be there. And then um, my cousin who I'm not, you know, I'm not close with any of my cousins, but I love them all, you know, if that makes sense. Uh, My cousin Adam built a Christmas tree out of lights. He he basically attached a U-Haul kind of platform to the back of his truck and then using lights made a giant Christmas tree. It looked amazing. And he was blaring Christmas music out the window and driving it down 495 Route 128, Massachusetts. If you know these freeways, you know how funny that would be. And he drove it to every cousin's house and went right up to their doors. Because there was, again, this like massive, massive snowstorm and just blared Christmas music and waved to everyone from a socially distant distance and brought Christmas cheer to the cousins. So when he showed up at my sister's house, she FaceTimed me. And I just said, you know, this pandemic has brought a lot of creativity. Found out my uncle has COVID. He's fine, which I'm just like, I don't know how this works. You know, he's 70. He didn't get very sick. He just lost his sense of taste and smell. But, you know, I just, I don't fuck with COVID because I don't want any long haul symptoms. I'm reading about the mental health things it can do to you. I don't want any of this shit. I don't want any of this shit. So anyway, um. I don't know. He got it from someone. I don't even know anymore. Nobody ever knows. Nobody ever knows. So then uh, that's when I did Christmas Eve. Then Christmas Day, I woke up, ate my fruitcake and my eggnog. I will get to that in a minute. I called my sisters again. My sisters and I had private time over the FaceTime. We put some Baileys in our coffee and we opened gifts. And it was like a 90 minute conversation. And I never sit there and FaceTime them for 90 minutes. And I'm telling you, there was something about, I guess the common denominator was I wasn't there. So maybe I should look at that. But the common denominator was everyone's family has dynamics. And, you know, if my parents are stressing out my sister, 
then my sister will stress out about how my sister's stressing out. And then I'll stress out about how they're stressing out. Or I'm like, nobody stress out because I just flew in. And let's all be cognizant of the fact that mom and dad are going to die someday. And you guys are so lucky. And they're like, shut up, Jen. You know, there's always something going on, right? Or like, I'm cranky or I don't even know. But there was this like, look, we've got 90 minutes. Let's talk. Let's have a nice conversation. Everyone was doing great, making the best of it. Everyone really cared about how the other people felt. You know, it was, it actually was kind of great. And then later I got on the phone because my parents don't have the FaceTime thing and we opened presents together and, uh, and that was lovely. And I had given my dad this Johnny Cash Christmas CD, which I had never heard before. It was like a lot of him with the Carter family. And my mother was like, we opened it and listened to it this morning at breakfast. He was, you know, Jennifer, people don't give Johnny Cash credit. They think he was just a druggie, but he was a poet. He was a genius. And he was a smart, smart man. Jennifer, was Johnny Cash's wife married before him? Yes, June Carter was married to a race car driver. I thought so. They really judged her for that. Yeah, Dad, they did. Well, they are so in love. It is wonderful. And they found each other. He really loved her, Jennifer. Unlike that Charles who didn't love Diana. My mom had asked me, had, had said, you know, here's a bunch of books I want. Pick from them. So, of course, I got her the Ruth Bader Ginsburg book. I didn't know anything about her life. I wanted to learn. It sounds so extraordinary. So I really enjoyed my Christmas. And then I watched some TV. I watched some Hallmark Christmas movies. Again, chatted to my friend on FaceTime that night. And just had an all-around good time. And, and I actually did end up watching It's a Wonderful Life. And you know what? I didn't really think about my ex this Christmas. It didn't dawn on me to think about it and go, oh, I feel bad. Now, I really think my meds are fucking rocking my socks off. They're working really well. And they didn't realize that I'd kind of sunk into a depression this year because you never know, like, is this depression? Is this the pandemic? Is it my depression coming back? Because, you know, the pandemic can fuck with our chemicals. But either way, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for so much. I really am. I had a terrible year in 2019 and no one else was. And I felt really isolated and alone <laughs> and scared because I was like, just the money was draining out because I wasn't earning and touring was terrible. And I know that nobody had a good 2020. Um, and so I don't mean to rub it in. I, I hope it helps that I used my privilege for good. I stayed home because I didn't need to go anywhere. And so I prevented unnecessarily stressing the healthcare system or getting people sick. I donated, I thank you guys for shopping in my merchandise store last year. I donated over, I think it's like $8,000 in total to charities that helped people who were affected by COVID. Um, we donated at least five, 50, five to $6,000 to get healthcare workers the PPE they need. There was another uh, donation earlier in the year that was to farmers who were losing their jobs because of this. And I forget one other charity and so I felt good about being able to do that and saying like, look, would I like to keep the merchandise money I earned? Sure. But I think um, I know I'm going to be okay. I do have income coming in. And so let's help other people. And so I feel like 
as though, although it might suck to hear that someone had a basically okay 2020, except for their being single, living alone, their depression coming back. Um, otherwise it, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I, and I got this long, long break that creatively I really needed to really reassess my life and what I want from it and how I don't miss touring. And I don't have anything to say as a standup right now. And I'm taking a big break from standup and it's not a sad thing. Nobody should be sad. It is exhilarating to me to, uh, respect my creative process. It's not how I feel like expressing myself right now. And I hope that I am expressing myself enough in an interesting way on this podcast, that this can be my form of expression. And again, I'm really excited for the new podcast, which I don't know when all that starts up, but it will be happening in 2021. And it means a lot to me. I just get so much out of helping people in the sense of normalizing anxiety so that they can take the first step. You know, like I don't have to be the person that solves your anxiety because I'm not a doctor, but even if it's just like, oh my God, I literally thought it was this difficult thing and no one could get over it and I just have to live with it. And so the fact that you just sent me this email that says it doesn't have to be that way gives me the courage to keep soldiering on and looking for help. Like that's all I want to do, you know? And I mean, I want to do more than that, but that is... That was really fulfilling for me this year, sending out those anxiety emails and doing that stuff. And, um, you know, I definitely had some hard times this year. There's some emotional stuff I worked through. And again, I lived alone. I mean, that's that's not always easy. Um, it is preferable to me, I think, than, than living with a, a bunch of kids like that I have to homeschool. I just don't think I'd be good at that. But I really tried to use my privilege for good and... I think that's everyone's responsibility who has any. So Oh, and I went on like a few uh Christmas Christmas uh light walks with a friend. God bless my gay man friends. Man, have the gay men in my life stepped up to me this year. Stepped up to me for me. And um God bless you all. So I tried to look at the Saturn and the Jupiter conjunction. I know it's a big deal and that it hasn't happened since BC and it's not going to happen again in our lifetime. And so at dusk, as the sun is setting, I'm in my room and I'm saging things and I'm crystals and I'm gratitude list and setting intentions. And then once it got super dark, I drove my car to where I thought I'd have a really good view of the sky you know, like two miles away. And I looked up and I said, oh, there it is. It's so beautiful. And I took a video of it and I posted it on Twitter and everyone said, that's Mars. And I said, oh, I am dumb. And everyone kept saying, just look up in the Southwest. Now, I listen to me. I don't know what Southwest is, okay? It's an airline. I don't know West, East, North. What am I, a compass? What am I, Davy Crockett? How the fuck am I going to know that? I'm telling you, even on 9-11, when they're like the South Tower is falling, I'm like, oh, like which, I don't know what tower that is. It's two towers, one there and one there. But now I know if I'm in LA and I'm driving and I know which direction the street goes, if the mountains are on my right, it means I'm going west. I also just know now which direction everything's going. And if I'm driving towards the mountains, I'm going north. 
On my left is the west. On my right is the east. Behind me is south. I get it. But I can't just stand outside and look at the sky and know north, south, east, west. Now, I don't know. It was never taught to me. Maybe I didn't understand it. It's the same way when I pull into some kind of... Uh, parking lot, um, especially if it's like on a studio lot here in LA. Oh, I have a meeting with director Johnson and bungalow C. They're like, here's a map. I'm like, I can't, I don't know. I don't, they're like, you're going to go here. I'm like, stop pointing on the paper that I don't know. I can't just tell me right, left, right, left, right, left, right. That's it. Rights and lefts, rights and lefts people. Is it to the right of the moon or the left? So everyone said, well, uh, fine, if you insist on making me talk to you this way, it's to the right of the moon. And it was pitch black and I saw no Jupiter, Saturn, and I didn't understand how if Mars was available to the naked eye, that Jupiter, Saturn, which was supposed to be so, 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 so bright in the sky was not. I felt like a dumb fuck. And then a friend told me, no, you were supposed to go outside at dusk. Then that's when it was the most visible. I'm like, I was doing my little voodoo routines at that time. <laughs> I couldn't. So I missed it. So I don't know if any intention I set for this year is going to come true or if the planets are like, she didn't even give us the respect of looking at us when she made her intentions. We're going to make her life a living hell. And so then everyone was like, you can look at it the next night. So I'm like, okay. So the next night I go outside at dusk and I'm saying, here I am at dusk. I can't see shit because it's dusk and I live in a city and there's light pollution. So I never saw the goddamn things. Now I did watch on Twitter an astronomer who let us look through the lens of his telescope and I got to see what the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction looked like. And it was fantastic. I've got to get myself one of these telescopes. I guess I don't have too much room out on my little deck here, but mainly it's because they're thousands of dollars and I feel like, how often am I really going to use it? But maybe if I did buy it, I'd use it more, but I don't know. Oh my God, what if I buy a telescope? This is what I should have done. This is what I, I missed. <sighs> I missed my calling in 2020. I should have bought a telescope and I should have looked in it every night just to get a feel for it. And I should have discovered life on other planets. I should have. That could have been my big thing. During, well, during the pandemic, I made sourdough. I'm like, oh yeah, bitch, I found life on Venus. That's right. So anyway, oh, well, maybe, maybe it can be something I do in 2021. So everyone, there was a whole big controversy on Twitter on Christmas night because Vice President-elect Kamala Harris tweeted, <laughs> she tweeted, check in on your single friends today who are likely spending Christmas alone for the first time. The internet went crazy. Well, I think... I love that she did this for two reasons. I think that a vice president who comes at things with this kind of personal empathy about stuff is pretty cool. I remember when I think it was President Obama said something about and for people who don't worship, you know, shouting out to atheists, agnostics and the rest. And I, and I thought that was cool, too. I think it's nice when we recognize all the different people in this country. And Kamala herself is not a biological mother, not that that matters, but she was a single woman for a long time. You know, she didn't settle down with Doug. I love Doug. 
um, until she was older. Some people were saying she was single till she was 50. Um, and then some people got, she fucked her way in the time. I don't want to get into your political bullshit. My point is, I thought it was cool. But at the same time, there was that part of me that was like, just because I'm single doesn't mean I need to be checked on. Doesn't mean I'm alone. I mean, it does mean I'm alone, but it doesn't mean I'm alone alone. And then I saw all the people overreacting to it and being like, I'm fine. And everyone yelling at them, like, stop it. She's trying to be nice. And, you know, don't think about it from your point of view. Like maybe some people's husbands died of COVID and people don't know what to say. So they don't contact them. Like, don't think about your swinging single life where you write a blog about it. Like, yeah, sure. You're fine, but not everyone is. So if you're fine, then shut up and stop taking offense. And I went, oh yeah, you're right. I'm taking offense because I secretly still hate being lumped into this group called single because I just hate the way people treat us. And so, you know, I, uh, what I, I just thought was so funny was that she tweeted it at 10 PM Eastern. It's like the day's over. Like no one better check in on me at this late. I'm asleep. Um, I just thought it was so funny. Uh, I, there was a lot of funny memes going around on Twitter about it that were making me laugh. But ultimately, this is my thought if I was going to write a Twitter thread, which I'm not. So this is where I come to thread or to talk. I think that a few things. I think a lot of people, I've spent Christmas alone a few times uh, when I was single. Um mainly just because of travel reasons. I didn't want to travel that year. I was living in LA. I'd been traveling all year. I obviously went and hung out with friends that day. Um, you know, I've never been alone alone in terms of nobody's calling me. I'm sitting by myself. Not, not really. Last Thanksgiving, I had a respiratory infection. I spent it like that. Like people didn't even know I was sick. I just like, did, I couldn't even keep up with anyone. I was just like, I could, I was so exhausted. It felt like what people describe COVID as. And I still like, I wonder if in 10 years we'll find out that I totally could have had COVID in early November, but it just wouldn't have made any sense again because I was around people, but whatever. So, and they didn't get it. Blah, blah. But what I think was hard about not hard, but what I think was interesting about her tweet is it opens up a bigger conversation. You know, I think the resentment that some single people felt was, I don't want to be checked on and then forgotten. You know, I'm not your good deed for the day. You know, in, in terms of like my friends that are in relationships that bothered to have me in their life Christmas week, it's because I'm important in their life. And we all kind of feel the same way about COVID. So we're willing to do Zoom hangs and socially distance drop off a gift or FaceTime hang or phone calls. And, you know, twice a week, once a week, I talk to my old friend from college, Liz, or once every other week, every Sunday, we have coffee. So I've reconnected with old friends and people that mean something to me during this time. And I think that so I've had plenty of friends that were in relationships that reached out to me on Christmas or, you know, the day before or after because I'm actively in their life. So it feels very natural. So, you know, the girlfriends I had dinner with over Zoom two nights before Christmas, I don't, they didn't have to check in on me on Christmas day in a check-in way because they know how I am. But we ended up being in touch because we were joking about my, my friend's daughter found out there was no Santa that morning. 
And uh, so we're in touch. So it, it's not like anyone has to check on me. So anyone that would have to check on me means they're not kind of in my rotation right now. And if they're not, then I have to ask the bigger question, why aren't my friends who aren't single in my rotation right now? And I think it's because for some of them, you know, I think they're weirded out that I live alone and I'm single and I feel okay. Like, I don't think they want to know about it because I think it makes them feel guilty that they are in relationships and they have a lot and they still feel the need to go out to restaurants and travel and get on planes and socialize during a pandemic. I think they just want to kind of pretend I'm not here because I think my therapist says, no, they think you're judging them. And I thought, well, probably they do. But I wonder if I hold a mirror up to something or they're just freaked out or they think I'm boring. I don't know. But, you know, friendships have changed a lot during this pandemic. And the notion that we should just call and check in on our single friends, I think has to be actually a bigger conversation about, well, what do we do on the 26th and the 23rd? Where are the single friends in our life then? You know, um, and why are we identifying as single or coupled? Why is that? The identifier. Now, again, Kamala's message was about checking on anyone who lives alone, you know? Um, and I think she was saying it in that like fun auntie way, like, I'm just going to frame this as single friends and I'm not going to say go feed the elderly, you know? Again, I think her tweet was fine. I thought it was cute, but I, I do think it's a, it's actually a bigger conversation, Miss VP, um, that I'm happy to take up the time to talk about since you're going to be busy. But I, I just think that it's, I think a lot of people's friendships have changed this year. And I think a lot of couples like to do things and they don't want this fifth wheel around. You know, my friends that are hanging out, they're hanging out as couples. I don't think they want me there. I think it's sort of like, oh, you know, we, we're all going to kiss and hug our partners and we're going to talk about coupley things. And I think Jen will feel left out. And I really won't because I'm not ashamed of being single. I love myself. I'm in like a love affair with myself, as you guys heard on last week's episode, <laughs> writing an email to someone on a dating app about me. Um, I'm just, I'm totally fine. There's been definitely times in my life where I've been sad to not have a relationship, but it was because I was pining over specific people that I was sad the relationship ended with. But in general, I really, really, I don't know. I'm just having the time of my life with myself. Um, I think of, but I do, yeah, like I would like a relationship. I don't, I don't, I, I can very easily slot someone into my life as it gets less chaotic and less about touring and less this, like that's going to be great too. Everything's going to be great until, you know, I don't know, a meteorite hits me or something, but I just... I don't know. I feel like my coupled friends could get a lot out of hanging out with me. You know, I've got interesting stories that actually aren't about dating and things I've been going through. And my friends that are in relationships that do COVID-y stuff, they don't even know that I have this like anxiety podcast coming out. Like we've just completely lost touch. And you know, I think it's an overall bigger conversation about what happened during the pandemic with singles and coupled. If anyone has any ideas or any real life stories about that, send me an email. I seem fun at gmail.com. I, I would ask you guys, please, please do respect the vulnerability it takes for me to talk about 
the single life because men often think I'm asking, uh, I have unfortunately since that dating episode came out, many men have emailed me asking me out. I am not going to date people that listen to my podcast who know it is not an even normal relationship. It is, it's not ideal for you. It's not ideal for me. It's not something you should truly want for me. If you really think you like me, it's not something you should want for yourself. Just let me be someone that you say, hey, you know what? There's some qualities Jen has that I'm going to find in a woman who's actually in my life, who's actually available to me. Uh, it is not a boundary that I will cross. I, I think men really have to understand what it's like to be a woman in the public eye and to really understand that they must conduct themselves better. So please don't use that email for that purpose. I am not shaming anyone. If anyone has done that, please know that you're not the only one and please do not write to me and apologize. I don't need an apology. I just would like it to stop. Okay, great. Um, so have now, let's get to the listener emails that we didn't get to last time. Is this episode so boring? Of course it is. Oh, I was going to read this article. What if friendship was at the center of life? Yeah, so I really liked this. Um, I still think there should be a TV show about this kind of thing. Um, what if friendship, not marriage, was at the center of life? This is a story by Raina Cohen. It was in The Atlantic last uh, in October. Um it's sort of anecdotal. So there's stories about real life people. So I'm just going to kind of blow through it and just read sections because it's like 17 pages on. But it says, um, our boyfriends, our significant others, and our husbands are supposed to be number one. Our worlds are backwards. So I guess this is really kind of a uh, heteronormative article about women who date men. So in the past few decades, Americans have broadened their image of what constitutes a legitimate romantic relationship. Courthouses now issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples. Americans are getting married later in life than even before. And more and more young adults are opting to share a home rather than a marriage license with a partner. Despite these transformations, what hasn't shifted much is the expectation that a monogamous romantic relationship is the planet around which all other relationships should orbit. So this article is about these young women. Um, their last names are West and Tillotson. Um, despite friendship's intense devotion, there's no clear category for them. The seemingly obvious one best friend strikes many of these committed pairs as a diminishment. Adrift in this conceptual gulf, People reach for analogies. Some liken themselves to siblings, others to romantic partners in the soul-inspiring way that someone being thoughtful about loving you and showing up for you is romantic, as the Rutgers University professor Brittany Cooper describes some of her friendships in her book, Eloquent Rage. Many of those who place a friendship at the center of their life find that their most significant relationship is incomprehensible to others. Intimate friendships don't come with shared social scripts that lay out what they should look like or how they should progress. These partnerships are custom designed by their members. Mia Paluto, a 20-year-old student at Drew University, says that she and her soulmate, Sylvia 
Sakachi, age 20, have cobbled together role models in what has felt like a Frankenstein process. Through reading about intimate female friendships from centuries ago, the pair discovered a framework for a relationship that doesn't neatly fit the contemporary labels of romantic or platonic. They found their complementary personalities reflected in the characters Sherlock and Watson, and they embraced the casual affection um, that they came across in a note between a wife and a husband. It was tucked into a book that they found at a garage sale. Many of those who place a friendship at the center of their life find that their most significant relationship is incomprehensible to others, but these friendships can be models for how we as a society might expand our conceptions of intimacy and care. Uh, okay. This is about modern people, blah, blah, blah. Uh, friends can break your heart. Okay. Intimate friendships have not always generated confusion and judgment. The period spanning the 18th to early 20th centuries was the heyday of passionate, devoted, same-sex friendships called romantic friendships. Without self-consciousness, American and European women addressed effusive letters to, quote, my love or my queen. Women circulated friendship albums and filled their pages with affectionate verse. In Amy Matilda Casey's friendship album, the abolitionist Margareta Fortin inscribed an excerpt of a poem that concludes with the lines, fair friendship binds the whole celestial frame, for love in heaven and friendship are the same. Authors devised literary plot lines around the adventures and trials of romantic friends. In the 1897 novel Diana Vitrix, the character Enid rejects a man's proposal because her female friend allegedly already occupies the space in her life that her suitor covets. Two well-known women who put each other rather than a husband first were the social reformer Jane Addams and the philanthropist Mary Rosette Smith. In Adams' bedroom, now an exhibit at the Jane Addams Hull House Museum in Chicago, an enormous painting of Smith hangs above the mantel. After meeting in 1890 at the pioneering settlement house that Adams co-founded, the women spent the next 40 years entwined, trudging through moments they spent apart. During one separation, Adams wrote to Sarah, uh, wrote to Smith, uh, you must know, dear, how I long for you all the time, and especially during the last three weeks. There is reason in the habit of married folks keeping together. When Adams traveled without Smith, she would sometimes haul the painting with her. When the two women journeyed together, Adams wired ahead to request a double bed. No scandal erupted in the newspaper. These women weren't pressed directly or implicitly about their sex lives, nor did they feel compelled to invent a label to make sense of their relationship to onlookers. Same-sex intimacy like theirs was condoned. These friendships weren't exclusive to women. Daniel Webster, who would go on to become Secretary of State in the mid-1800s, described his closest friend as the friend of my heart, the partner of my joys, griefs, and affections, the only participator of my most secret thoughts. When the two men left Dartmouth College to practice law in different towns, Webster had trouble adjusting to the distance. He wrote that he felt like the dove that had lost its mate. Frederick Douglass, the eminent abolitionist and intellectual, details his deep love for his friends in his autobiography. Douglas writes that when he contemplated his escape from slavery, the thought of leaving my friends was decidedly the most painful thought with which I had to contend. The love of them was my tender point and shook my decision more than anything else. 
One question these friendships raise for people today is, did they have sex? Writings from this time, even those about romantic relationships, typically lack descriptions of sexual encounters. Historians whose research on the topic is largely confined to white middle-class friends can't make definitive claims about what transpired in their bedrooms. But it's clear that this period's considerably different norms around intimacy allowed for possibilities in friendship that are unusual today. And it was, so the article goes on to say men didn't feel threatened by the friendships that these women had because women couldn't live without living, you know, like they had to survive by being married to men. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, maybe everyone was gay. I don't know. But I enjoyed this article because, again, like I do find that once people partner up, they kind of don't have that same bond with their single friends and they start bonding with other couples. And I feel like they're really missing out, you know? Um so anyway, it's an interesting article. I'm also reading a great book called Spinster, and it's about a woman who uh, she's kind of analyzing old timey, you know, Victorian era women that um, didn't do well with marriage, you know. And so anyway, it's a great book. I'm I'm only like 30 pages in, so I can't really speak on it. But I'm always thinking like, God, I feel like I'm ahead of my time. I feel like if I lived in a big house with good friends and everyone dated, like it wasn't like it would be some weird cult, but that like if the friendships were the, the focal point of life, um, then no one would have to be like, oh, but on holidays, we all break apart. You know, I don't know. There's there's some shift that society's having that is not going to focus on people are either in a couple or they are alone. And I can't believe it hasn't happened quicker but I think it's going to happen. And I think, I think it's going to be, I don't know. But then my friend that I talked to from high school said her 14 year old daughter is so depressed that she doesn't have a boyfriend. And all the teenage girls are like, you're a loser if a man doesn't love you. And I'm like, what is happening at 14 in 2021? Like, why is this still happening? So I don't know, y'all. I don't fucking know. I'm just saying thanks, Kamala, for checking in, but I think we all have to have a bigger conversation around how we treat our single friends as though they are something we check in on and someone we hang out with when it's our night to be without our spouse, but why can't they be part of everything in your life? Okay, listener emails. Hi, Jen. This is about... Uh, Oh, a listener asked me to describe my love of fruitcake or defend it. I can't defend it. I just like fruitcake. I've always liked it since I was a kid. I can't account for what I like and what I don't like. Everyone has different taste buds. I like it. The moister, the better. And I found a brand I really like. I forget the name, but it came pre-sliced. And I had two slices every morning for 14 days. And it was the greatest. And I'm sad. And I want more. Okay. So this is um, good and bad things that happened in 2020. Hi, Jen. In a year that has been pretty shitty, I wanted to stop and think about some of the positive things that happened this year in 2020. While there weren't a ton of fun and exciting moments, the one moment that stuck out in my mind was the day that I was in a record store with Kim Gordon. It was just another 70 degree Sunday in January in Western Massachusetts. 
just her, myself, and the cashier, in a room about the size of a closet. I walked in, and there she was, just browsing. Now, I'm only telling you this because I'm a 30-year-old gay man, and not many people in my circle what it, understand what it means to be two feet from Kim Gordon while browsing through records. But I know the No Fun community cares and understands the gravity of what that holds. This woman means so much to me, her art, her music, her fashion, the way she lives her life. She is my constant reminder that just being myself, even the boring or quiet parts of myself, is the most punk rock thing I can do. I had been listening to her latest solo record, No Home Record, on repeat since it had come out, but hadn't gotten my copy on vinyl yet. I figured now was as good a time as ever to make the purchase. I scrambled to find a copy, and finally I did. I nervously approached her and asked her to sign my copy. She just smiled and said, sure, what's your name? I didn't want to fanboy out or take up too much of her time, so I let her know how much I loved the record and said thank you and went on my way. I looked at my record to see what she had written on it, and it read, Brett, yo, have a nice day, Kim, G, X. That special moment of meeting one of my heroes in a quiet record store all alone has been a reminder for me, especially in a year like this one, that maybe, just maybe, we are right where we are supposed to be in the moment. Jen, yo, have a nice day. Love the podcast. Well, Brett, not to brag, but I was texting with Kim in January and she had a crazy respiratory infection and we kept meaning to get together for a cocktail and never did in the month of January. And I wonder if she had COVID. Anyway, not to brag, but I'm bragging a little. <coughs> Jen, first, I'd like to wish you a happy new year and I hope 2021 sucks a little less than 2020. I had my 40th birthday in May of 2019, and I made a list of 40 things I wanted to do or accomplish by May 2020. Needless to say, I didn't get to complete my list, but I came pretty damn close. Some highlights. I managed to lose 20 pounds. I completed the necessary courses to get an extension on my teaching certification, and I was able to decrease my visits to my therapist down to once every three weeks. I still cannot thank you enough for promoting mental health awareness. You and the feedback from your fans was the push I needed. Of course, 2020 wasn't all positives. My sister and I take my mother on vacation every summer, and this was the first time in years we couldn't do that. I was also starting to break the chains of self-doubt and insecurities just as I was becoming my former outgoing, talkative, happier self, the lockdown hit. I really miss going places and not having anxiety. My circle had just started to expand, and now it's stagnant. What really stings is just as I was getting confidence back, I made the last item on my 40th birthday bucket list, a rather ambitious one. Try my hand at stand-up. Not as a career, but it's something I always wanted to do. I was going to try this years ago, but my ex was mentally abusive, told me I wasn't funny, and generally didn't like me doing things that took attention away from her. Despite my family and friends telling me I should go for it and that I should leave her, I listened to her instead. I've had nothing but regret since, and trying stand-up would have felt like I finally closed that chapter on my life. I'm not giving up on that dream to try it, but much like you, I don't think I'll be comfortable doing stand-up until 2022, especially since most open mic places probably don't have the best ventilation. I don't want to end this on a downer, so I'd like to say that in the year of hell, there were some good things to soften the bad, and your podcast has been one of them. I look forward to hearing the goings-on in the life of Jen Kirkman and listening to your advice and seeing the world from your point of view. I wish you all the best in 2021 and can't wait till the next time you're able to perform at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Happy New Year and fuck 2020, Nick. Well, everybody, you guys keep insisting I'm touring. I keep saying I'm not. Um, I might go to the Bell House to do this podcast, but again, I have given up touring as a stand-up. Um, 
Here's the thing, Nick. I don't want to tour till 2022 because I don't love stand-up anymore. And it's been two years now and I'm finally comfortable starting to say it. I just, anytime I said it, people would be like, no, you want to. And I'd be like, no, I really don't. Like, I just changed. I don't know what's happening. But Nick, I would advise you, you can close that chapter on your life without doing the stand-up. And I would advise you to get Maria Bamford's book called You Are a Comedy Special. It's an audio book only. And I would advise you to do the stand-up. Even if you, I don't know what kind of situation you live in. Sounds like you're in Brooklyn, so you probably don't have a big backyard. But on your roof, something, anything. Invite five friends over, socially distance, outside with a mask. I know it's cold out. Stand there and do 10 minutes of stand-up and have it as a party for yourself in terms of moving on from the last thing that you had in that relationship. Or do a Zoom stand-up show and stand in your living room holding a mic and invite your friends and, um, you know, whatever. I would I would do it and not wait till 2022. I would do it now because you feel a calling for it and you want to close a chapter in your life by doing it. So I think you get creative and do it. Jen. As... In answer to your New Year's question, I am a rapper in my spare time and 2020 was supposed to be a big year for me, going on tour for the first time, opening for huge acts like Nelly, Ludacris, and Cypress Hill, holy shit, and really pushing my music to see how far I can go. But of course, everything fell apart. I wallowed for a while, woe is me, God's out to get me, yada yada, but soon I realized I could use the time to try out new things. I directed a few music videos started a music interview podcast and picked up guitar and started learning and jamming out cover songs for my YouTube channel. Hopefully next year I can pick up where I left off musically, but if not, at least I have a few new things that I love to kill the time. I am even considering making a short, ultra low-budget horror film, something I've wanted to do since I was a teenager. Now that I have the means and probably the time next year, there's no better than the present. And sometimes you have to make your own fun. Hope to catch you live in Dallas at some point before the end of time. Keep inspiring and stay safe. RCX. Thank you, RCX. Well, I have played Dallas every year since 2008. Again, I'm not going to be touring. So, but maybe you'll see me roll through with a podcast evening. I just don't know my listenership there. Um, that sounds amazing. And hey, if you make your own horror movie, you can do your own music. I'm just thinking of the royalties, you know, let's get that money. Jen, normally not a writer in of podcasts, but 2020 took a turn that I did not expect. I'd been incredibly fortunate as I work for a rather large company that has the capacity to allow its entire staff to work from home. I have been working from home since February and have enjoyed the benefits of being mostly caught up on my tasks every day, my home tasks every day. Bonus, when you work 20 feet away from your bed, catnaps are a feasible way to spend your lunch break. This year at home, focusing on myself, my partner and our home, has pushed me to do the things I always said that I would, but never got around to. I am pursuing my health with my doctors, and I'm in the process of purchasing my first home. If you told me in February of 2020 that I would be close to the finish line of my top two priority goals, I would have laughed. Once we get moved in and I get further down the road with my weight loss and health pursuits, I will enroll in online classes to resume my work toward my undergraduate degree. I took a 10-year hiatus and have no excuse to put it off anymore. Without a year of being home, I wouldn't have had the energy nor the time to pursue these things. Have a great holiday season. Thank you for the podcast. It has been a companion for those disassociating days because my lack of socialization with anyone but my boyfriend. I will be sitting around the house sipping on wine for the next couple of days. COVID Christmas is weird. Hope you have a lovely finish to the year. Madison. 
Hey, Jen, you can use my name. What a great idea for a topic of discussion. Thank you. Because we are all bogged down and beleaguered by COVID and its toll on our lifestyles, it's easy to think we just have to suck it up and move forward. But we should be acknowledging the losses here. I am beyond grateful to have my health, my partner's health, and my family's as well. That said, my partner Jeff and I had to cancel our October wedding in Red Hook, Brooklyn, for obvious reasons. We spent a year rigorously saving up for it. I was working with a fabulous DJ, ordering the menu, and Jeff and I were coming up with creative floral arrangements and votives on our own because, well, we're gay men and it brought us joy. By May, New York City was devastated from the effect of COVID-19, and we knew we had to cancel our wedding before our out-of-state family members booked plane tickets. It was such a huge loss, but we had our survival to worry about and a dog who was losing her mind over the nightly firecracker bombs and explosions that disrupted our neighborhood in Brooklyn due to necessary protesting for Black Lives Matter. Then something sort of magical happened. We were granted an opportunity to work from home indefinitely from anywhere in the country. I have long since had a love for the Southwest. So Jeff and I packed up our beloved apartment and hauled our cookies to Santa Fe to start a new life. Our dog is very happy and has become a mountain desert hound. I am getting the best sleep of my life and I'm surrounded by beauty. One day, Jeff and I will actually get married. And now we are taking our time and get married around our friends and family whom we miss seeing face to face so much. But for now, we are taking our time and enjoying the slower pace that comes with extracting yourself from a chaotic situation. Thanks for the opportunity to write this, even if you don't read it. I haven't actually put to words the strange journey that's been 2020. Best, Michael. That's amazing. Should I move to Santa Fe? I mean, I can't because no job I have is about there. And I don't get like, eventually I just have to move back to New York. But oh, I know I like love LA for the space and the beauty. But then I'm just like, oh, sometimes I feel like a dumb dumb living here. Okay, I have so many more things to read, but let's wait until next week. And um, until next week, keep your friends close, make new friends, but keep the old. One is silver and the other gold, and have fun. Bye.